Well, this morning we're continuing in our series, Unforgettable Women of the Bible. And if you've been with us, each week we've been looking at a different woman of the Bible. And some researchers recently got together and they went through every single passage of the Bible and they found that there are 93 women who have words recorded in the Bible. 49 of them are mentioned by name. And together they speak over 14,000 words. But that only makes up 1% of the entire Bible. And now if you were to think about unforgettable women in the Bible, some of you, if you were to think of the most unforgettable woman in the Bible, who would that be for you? Mary, Mary right? So Mary, she speaks... 191 words in the Bible. And for a lot of us, Mary's pretty unforgettable. Another unforgettable one for a lot of us is Eve. Eve speaks 74 words in the Bible. But then there's this woman named Rahab. And Rahab speaks 255 words in the Bible. So she speaks more than Mary. She speaks more than Eve. She's mentioned in the Old Testament. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament. And yet, A lot of us have really never heard a sermon on her. We don't know much about her, haven't really learned about her in church much. But today, that's who we're going to look at. We're going to be looking at Rahab and her story that comes to us in Joshua chapter 2 of the Old Testament. And now, if you're not familiar with Rahab's story, I mean, there's a number of reasons why perhaps Rahab hasn't been preached about or talked about much. The first is that Rahab is a woman, and a lot of times, women in the Bible and our society get overlooked. Another is that Rahab wasn't married when we read her story. So she's single, she's likely poor. She's not an Israelite, she's a Canaanite, she lives in a city called Jericho. But then perhaps the the most popular reason why Rahab doesn't get talked about much is that Rahab, every time she's mentioned, there's this little thing added to her description. And the biblical writers tell us that Rahab was a prostitute. And so a lot of times we're like, okay, let's just skip over this story or skip over that fact or not really talk about it in church because we don't have to explain anything to the kids. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Rahab to discover why she's an unforgettable woman, why she's so important. And I think there's a lot of great lessons we can learn. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Joshua chapter 2 is where we find her story. And now as we come to Joshua 2, I know a lot of people aren't as familiar with the Old Testament, so let me just set the stage here. Joshua... The book of Joshua comes after Moses has led the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea. They've gotten to the edge of the promised land, but due to some different stuff, they haven't been allowed to enter into it. They've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And the book of Joshua is written right after Moses dies. And his successor, Joshua, is appointed to lead God's people into the land that he has promised them that he's promised to Abraham and his ancestors. And so when we come to this passage in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua has now sent some spies into the land that they're soon going to take over so they can kind of check things out and get the lay of the land, right? They didn't have helicopters. They didn't have drones or any of that kind of stuff back then. So they had to send literal people over to kind of investigate and see what's going on. And that's where we pick up Joshua chapter 2. And now we're going to be reading most of the chapter here. So I just want to let you know it's, it's a little long. So just relax. Sit back and try to take in this story and imagine that you're there. We read this, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said. 
especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But secretly, she had taken them up and hidden them on the roof. Under the stalks of flax, she laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate to the city was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. We heard of it. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage fell because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hill so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made, you made us swear, will not be binding on us unless... When we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We won't be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands for all the people are melting in fear because of us. This is the word of God. I love that story. And the reason why I wanted to kind of read the whole thing rather than set it up is because for me, it really kind of plays out like a good movie, right? It has every aspect that a good story or a good movie needs. I mean, it starts off with a quick introduction of the characters. We learn that there's a couple of spies. We don't learn their names. I think that's because they're not really the most important characters here. So we learn that these two spies have connected in the house with a woman named Rahab who is a prostitute. And now the text doesn't give us any signals that they had any uh, professional relations, for lack of a better word, with Rahab. But it says that they've come into her house 
And a lot of scholars think the way this probably happened is that Rahab, with her line of work, she probably operated a type of kind of hostel or tavern or kind of, you know, house that people would kind of come through and hang out. People from in town, out of town, you know, it's probably good for her business. So she likely had this kind of melting pot, people coming in and out all the time. And so the spies, it makes sense, right? Let's go here, have some drinks, get to know some other people, see what's going on in this town. And it's right after that that conflict is introduced. Because right after that, word soon gets to the king of Jericho that spies have infiltrated his city, his city that's protected by gates. And so he sends messengers to Rahab. And now you have to put yourself in Rahab's position. This is like the FBI coming to her house and knocking on the door and saying, hey, we heard that there were some men here who were suspicious, who were spies of a foreign government trying to check us out because they're trying to take us over. What's the deal with them? Where are they? And Rahab, you know, who's, who's likely poor, pretty powerless in her role in this kingdom, you would think that she would just rat him out. That she would tell the king, maybe she'd go into witness protection, or maybe she would just lie and then kind of slip out of town and never be seen from again. But what she does is she lies to them and she says, look, I have no idea where they are while secretly... She's hiding them in her house. And not only does she lie to them, she also sends them cold on the trail, right? She sends in the, the messenger. She says, hey, I think they actually went out of the city. So she sends them out. They go out. The gates shut as they go out behind them. And it's here you have to realize that Rahab has really just committed a great act of treason. She has committed treason against the king of Jericho and her people. And at this point in the story, we're not exactly sure why. Why she's hiding these men. Why she's taking care of them like this. But we see that she is. We see that she is. And then the story kind of comes to a climax when we hear this speech from her. And this speech that Rahab gives is the longest, one of the longest uninterrupted speeches by a woman in the Bible. And in it she tells the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know that the Lord has given you this land. She says, look, we've heard about the God of Israel. We've heard about how he delivered you from captivity through the Red Sea, how he delivered into your hands these other kings and kingdoms before. And she says, look, I know about your God and how powerful he is. I mean, at some level, she's admitting that, that she understands intellectually about their God. And then she says emotionally, she says, look, our hearts are melting here. Our, our courage is gone. We have fear because we believe your God is powerful. And then she makes a bold claim when she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And that's my favorite line of the story. Where Rahab declares, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And this is really the turning point in the movie or in the scene. Because this is when Rahab really goes all in and she switches allegiances. She switches allegiances from the king of Jericho and that kingdom to a new king, the king of Israel. God. The God who delivered them. The God who was going to deliver this city into their hands. She said, you know what? I'm now in with y'all. And you have to realize how risky this was for her to do. She could have escaped. She could have avoided this whole situation. But instead, she says to the guys, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my life in your hands. And they could have easily said, you know what? We're going to destroy you too. We're, we're not, we don't care about you. Thank you anyway. 
But instead, they kind of have this kindred relationship. And she says, look, I know your God is so powerful. I, I trust in him, even though I don't really know who he is, even though I don't understand him, I don't understand all of your beliefs. I've never even met your community of people. But now your people, I, I want them to be my people. And so she says, can we make an oath that because I've taken care of you, will you take care of me? And they agree to it. And the men say, but you know what? If we're going to have this oath, we have to have a way to, to mark this. And so they find a, a scarlet cord or a red or crimson cord in the house. And they say, once we leave, put this out the window and it'll be a sign when we come that you'll be protected. And the men, they shimmy out the window. Maybe you remember in vacation Bible school, this is a common story. They don't usually say she's a prostitute, but they talk about her being faithful and letting the men out the window. They go out and then we see the story wrapping up as they go back to Joshua and report all the great things that have happened and how they should go in and take Jericho. And then at like the end of a movie, like a good conclusion in the final scene, in Joshua chapter 6, everything's kind of tied up with a little bow as we find out that God's people go, they go to Jericho on their way, they find out that God's going to deliver Jericho into their hands in a miraculous way, and they get to the city, and then we have this passage from Joshua chapter 6 here. It says this, that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent his spies to Jericho. And I love this. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. It's kind of a little finale right there. I love this story from beginning to end. And as I was thinking about how it plays out like a movie in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? If I were to design the DVD cover for this movie, what would be on it? Or, to be more modern, because I don't, I don't even have a DVD player, what would the little picture on Netflix be if I was scrolling around? Because I don't know if you're like me. I, I just spend 30 minutes scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and nothing looks good to me, and then I'd start something. So what I would put for this image to kind of help grab people's attention and let them know, I think I would put that scarlet cord. I think I would put that scarlet cord because to me, that's an image that really sums up everything going on here. And you have to think about this cord that she hung out her window. And she hung it out there, and the Israelites didn't come immediately. So it was hanging there as really a sign of her hope and a sign of her faith that this God she didn't know much about was going to come and save her and deliver her. The, the rope was hanging out the window as they marched around the city before the walls came down. It was a sign that she was all in. That she was willing to risk her life for this God and for this group of people that she didn't really even know yet. This scarlet cord or, or this rope, we're not exactly sure what it was, is really a sign of why Rahab has been remembered throughout history and why she's truly unforgettable. And when we think about this, this scarlet cord and Rahab and why she's unforgettable, I think one of the reasons why she's unforgettable is that God used someone like her, right? God used someone like her. A prostitute. If you were with us last week, my friend Natalie preached on Deborah. And Natalie talked about how Deborah didn't let the modifiers 
or the labels that the world put on her stop her from living out God's purposes. Deborah didn't let the labels that she put on herself stop her from living out God's purposes. And that's what we see with Rahab as well. We see that Rahab, even though she wasn't married, even though she was poor, even though she had this shady profession, all of these things, she didn't let any of that stop her from being used by God. But more importantly, it didn't stop God from using her, right? God chose to use Rahab to help fulfill his promises. Despite her past, despite her profession, despite any of her choices she had made, right or wrong in the past, God chose to use her. And one interesting thing when I was reading, studying for this passage, is that some people think that the red cord, because you know, it was already in the house. It's not like they went and bought it. It was there, and they said, hey, let's use this. Some people think the red cord, well, it might have been something that she had there because she regularly hung it outside of her window as a sign to people outside the gates that, hey, welcome to the red light district. <laughs> Some people think that. And then God uses that same cord for his purposes to deliver his people. And so for me, that's encouraging, right? It's encouraging that God can use someone like her because if God can use someone like Rahab, guess what? God can use me. God can use you. Despite your past, despite whether you feel like your decisions were good or bad growing up or, or yesterday, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, rich you are, poor you are, maybe you think you're too smart to be used by God, maybe you think you don't know enough. Rahab teaches us that all of us can be used by God for his purposes in this world. And that's good news. That's good news. But a lot of times, like Natalie said last week, we disqualify ourselves. We take ourselves out of the game. And we say, no, what, God, I know you can't use me. I'm too dirty. I'm too this. I'm too that. But God says, no. I have a purpose for every single person. Despite your past, despite your profession, God can use any of us. That's one reason why Rahab is remembered. But another reason why Rahab is remembered is because she simply had great faith. She had bold, risk-taking faith. And later we see this lifted up in the New Testament as she's mentioned. She's mentioned one in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Because she was the great-grandmother of King David. See, God brought her into the family. She became part of God's family and ultimately was the lineage of Jesus. She was in that lineage. But then other writers, the writer of Hebrews, he lifts her up in chapter 11 as he's going through a kind of a hall of fame of faith, saying these people had outstanding faith. He says, you know what? Abraham had it. You know what? Moses had it. And then he says, you know what? Rahab, a prostitute, had it. He lifts her up as someone who had Great faith. And the writer of Hebrews, he says this, that faith is this, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I love this definition of faith because Rahab really is the embodiment of it. She didn't know much about God. 
But this rope, her risk, it was a sign of her hope that this God she didn't know very well was going to deliver her. It was a sign of her faith. She, she couldn't see these people. She didn't know where they were. She didn't know how close they were. She had really never seen God's people worshiping. She didn't even know the rules of the community or what she was going into. Right? She'd probably never heard of circumcision. I don't know. But she has faith anyway. She has bold faith that risks her entire life. She could have easily just skipped town and played it safe. But instead, she said, I'm going to go all in for God's people. And she inspires me because if you're anything like me, a lot of times, you know what? I want, I want all of the information. I'm a data person. I want all of the information. I want all of the numbers. I want all of the facts before I make a decision. And so if I was in Rahab's position, I would say, well, you know what? How big is your army? How far away are y'all? Okay, you know what? I know God did this in the past, but right now we have good walls and fortification. But Rahab, she doesn't do any of that. A lot of us, we want more information. We want assurances. We want to have everything figured out before we put our faith in God or in other people. But Rahab, she doesn't have any of that. She risks and steps out in faith. And that's ultimately what faith is, right? It's believing and what we can't always see. And because of Rahab's faith, James tells us that she was deemed righteous by God. Because of her faith, even though she wasn't an Israelite at this point, she was put into a right relationship with God. And just like Rahab, through faith, we can have a right relationship with God. We can be deemed righteous through belief in God and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, and who rose again for us. You see, Rahab worshipped God. She had faith in him when he was in the midst of fulfilling his promises to Israel. But we can have faith in Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in Israel. And when we think about how Jesus, who, who comes a long time later in the New Testament, connects to Rahab in the Old Testament, once again, I'm drawn to the cord because if you notice, it's kind of odd that the writer included that the cord was scarlet, right? It's kind of an odd fact to include, but I think the reason it's included is to point us back. Back to how God saved his people through the shedding of blood in the Passover as he delivered them. And I think it points us forward to how God would one day save his people once again through the shedding of Jesus' blood. And through faith, through faith in Jesus, we, like Rahab, can have our lives transformed. We can become part of God's family. We can have forgiveness for our past. We can have new hope for a future. All we have to do is surrender our lives and say to God, God, I trust in you and your son, Jesus. And through that faith, we become part of God's family. We are saved. We're forgiven. We're set free. And then God empowers us to go out and to put our faith into action. And that's really the third way, the third reason why we remember Rahab so much. It's because she put her faith 
into action. It wasn't just an intellectual faith. It wasn't just a faith in her heart. It was a faith that was lived out with her hands. And in James chapter 2, he says this. If you were with us in the springtime, we studied James's letter. He says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And then he lifts up Rahab once again. And he all, they always include Rahab was a prostitute. And I think that's to point out that, hey, God can use anybody. And he says, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Rahab put her faith into action. And I like to think that Rahab probably pulled out this crimson cord every once in a while. I think she probably saved it maybe. Maybe she was kind of a hoarder like me and she just saved little trinkets and rocks and little memories. Emily hates it that I do that. But I like to save little mementos. And so I I like to think that Rahab, you know what? She pulled out this cord one day when she had grandkids. When she was telling them this story about how Jericho fell. And I can imagine her saying, you know what? This is what faith looks like. Faith looks like believing in what you cannot see. Faith looks like taking big risks. Faith is kind of like this rope. And Jesus tells us that he wants us to put our faith into action as well. He doesn't want us to just be something that changes us individually. As we're changed, he wants us to go out as well. Like this rope is a tangible expression of Rahab's faith. God wants us to put our faith into tangible actions as well. And Jesus lists out some of those actions. He says we're called to feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Show hospitality to strangers. Forgive one another. Make disciples. Love our neighbor. There are many different ways we can put our faith into action. And Rahab reminds us that that is a calling that all of us who have faith in Christ, all of us are called to do that. And in thinking about all the different ways we can put our faith into action, I want to highlight one that that came up this week. And it's a way that that Gail O'Neill, Gail, where are you at? Gail, Gail over here, sorry to do that to you, but I know you. So Gail is actually visiting our church. She's been visiting for a few weeks now. And during our Live Generously series, she came up as one of the volunteers when we gave out envelopes of cash to people. And we said, hey, we want you to take this cash and go and put your faith into action. Go bless somebody else. Show them the love of God. And Gail actually got the largest amount of money out of everybody. She got $75 cash. She could have used it for herself, but thankfully she, she used it for good. And so she immediately began thinking and praying about, okay, God, how do you want me to use this? And her passion for caring for people in need and her love for animals kind of came together. And so she decided, you know what? I want to find maybe an older adult or someone who doesn't have many resources, who lives alone, I want to find someone like that who has a pet that helps kind of comfort them. I want to find someone like that and help them out and buy dog food for them. And so Gail's new to the community. She lives in Barnesville, so she began calling around, trying to figure out who are these people. She asked me. I didn't know anybody. But eventually she connected with a woman named Deborah who's deaf, who's hard of seeing and who's living on her own for the very first time in a housing authority unit in Barnesville. 
And, you know, people kind of thought that Gail was like scamming them, right? I mean, if you go to people and you're like, hey, I want to buy you dog food, people are like, what is this scam you have going on? But she worked with one of Deborah's caregivers to get her dog, Peppy, dog food. And this is, this is Deborah and the dog here. And so she got her set up so that actually on automatic delivery for the next while, Deborah doesn't have to leave the house. She can have the dog food delivered to her. It's taken care of. She can use the money she would have used for that for other things. And Gail said, hey, you know what? This is a sign of God's love for you. This is a sign that Harvest Point Church loves you. There's no strings attached. She was putting her faith into action. When I was growing up, there was a group of youth leaders. They attended youth group every week. They listened to me. They spoke truth to me. They encouraged me. They were putting their faith into action. Yesterday, here at the church, we had a children's ministry volunteer training. And they're serving right now. They're putting their faith into action. And you know what? When you're serving with kids, a tangible expression of your faith in action, it might, it might look like uh, dancing. It might look like glue sticks. It might look like crayons. It might look like a mess. But that is faith. In action. All those shoeboxes out there that we're collecting, that's a tangible expression of faith. And sometimes living out our faith and putting it into action is small. And it might seem insignificant. It might be saying hello to your neighbor as they roll down the garbage can. It might be picking up the phone and calling your family members or your friends who you haven't talked to in a while. It might just be saying hello to someone instead of walking by them and ignoring them like everybody else. But other times it might look big. It might be bold. It might be risky. Like Rahab. It might be going to someone that you've wronged and asking them for forgiveness. It might be inviting a foster child to live in your home. It might be telling someone, you know what, hey, I love you. It might be admitting that you finally have an addiction and you want to get help. Putting our faith into action can look like many different things. But like we learn in Rahab's story... God wants to use every single one of us. He's inviting each of us to have faith in him. And as we have faith, he's calling us to then go out and to share it with love for all people. And so this week, you know what? It could just be a forgettable week for you. You could go to work, you could go to class, go to school. You could do all of that. And then at the end of the week, you could come back here next week and it feels like nothing has changed. It could be pretty forgettable, or it could be unforgettable. It could be a week where you say, you know what, God? This week, I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to put my faith into action, and I'm going to watch how you transform my world and how you transform the world around me as I do that. And my hope and prayer for us is that we would each do that this week. And so let's ask God to make it so. God, we thank you that you love us all. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die and to rise again 
for us all. And God, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us all. So God, we ask this week that you would give us eyes to see the needs around us. God, that you would help us to find ways to put our faith into action. And God, that you would help us to take off the labels that we've put on ourselves and to find our true identity in you and to find our rest in you. And God, we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us. Amen. Amen. Before our closing song, I just want to...